Ahoy chums, your local New York City 2101 Shadowrun Game Master Mike here. I am very excited to say that following the conclusion of our Still Fleet Arc Float City, it is now only a few short days until the return of Fun City and a shadow running in the 22nd century's rebuilt Big Apple. It's been almost a year and a half since our last Fun City episode, so I thought for listeners both old and new, a recap might be in order. So that is what follows. A rough summary of most things that have happened up to this point in the narrative of Fun City. I hope you enjoy, I hope this is helpful, and I hope that you'll listen to the new episode out on Friday. Our game follows four friends who live together. Lash, an orc jock technomancer. A technomancer is kind of like a wizard, but all of their spells affect only technology. Lux, a fancy pants human face with constant condo problems. In Shadowrun, the face is a character that does all of the charming and talking. TK, a human retired boxer battle decker adept. Decker means hacker. A battle decker is a hacker who fights and an adept is someone who is magic, but their magic is all embodied. Magic muscles, basically. And Vivian Lakewood, a 150 or so year old water mage elf. I think all of those things are pretty self-explanatory. At the start of our story, Lash, Lux, TK, and Viv live together in the cramped quarters of Viv's houseboat, the Mirage, which floats in the East River. In 2101, the city looks pretty different. In the early and mid-21st century, a series of floods and earthquakes all but leveled the five boroughs and large parts of New Jersey. Around the same time, rising sea levels began swallowing Brooklyn, Jersey City, and other co coastal areas in the region. A consortium of megacorporations allied with the newly privatized NYPD Incorporated alongside state and municipal governments joined forces to literally rebuild New York atop a large world first vaulted platform called the superstructure, a gargantuan piece of civic engineering which would be built over the slowly submerging rubble and rescue Manhattan at least, from the rising seas, while the rest of the boroughs were left to mostly fend for themselves. Without, it is worth noting, firearms, which were made highly illegal in the city around the time the NYPD privatized. So, Brooklyn is now an archipelago. Rivers, East and Hudson, are less waterways and more briny trailer parks, accommodating the semi-permanent floating residences of thousands of New Yorkers who can't afford or would prefer to not live on rebuilt Manhattan, and who aren't lucky enough to have a small dry plot of unsunken land in the archipelago to call their own. Such describes our crew. In the story, Viv calls a house meeting to tell everyone that they need to find new digs. They are cramping her style and her magic. She can't properly attune around her lodge with Lash kicking soccer balls off every wall. Luckily, Lux gets a text from an unknown number, someone claiming 
coming to be a friend of a friend, a man named Yuri, who tells him that he has a job for them. You like, pay nice, meet today. The team meets Yuri at his bank-turned-right-aid-turned-house in mainland New Jersey. He feeds them real eggs on toast, sort of unheard of, and explains the job he has for them. He needs them to steal a big boat from a junkyard. Just Reclamation, a big, gross place, as Yuri describes it, in Sheep's Head Bay. It's run by a greasy goth mage named Jast Columnar. The ship that's there, it was stolen from Yuri, and he needs it back. Very simple. He'll pay a mint for them to get in, get the boat, and deliver it to an agreed-upon location on the west side of Manhattan. They take the job, but there's one snag. The crew doesn't have a rigger, someone who can drive the boat. But this is is no problem. Yuri will put them in touch with someone who owes him a favor, a rigger by the name of Gabriel Ozaman. Yuri says that Gabriel can be found at a club in Chelsea called the Ball Pit. The team leave mainland New Jersey and head to the ball pit. After a small, balloon-related distraction, they enter and encounter Chester, the ball pit's stalwart milk purveyor, and then Gabe, who turns out is a professional and the ball pit's own DJ. Gabe is wary of the job that they describe, and he is very wary of Yuri, but his desire to settle an open favor is stronger than his desire to keep his hands clean. After a day or so of recon involving the impersonation wife-kissing, and clam flipping upon of Jest's head of security, Mr. Balto Cuddle. The team infiltrates Jest Reclamation. They find and board the boat, but along the way they learn that underneath Jest there's a large and extremely well-guarded facility which hides a powerful magical force. They choose to not investigate, deeming the venture too risky. As Gabe gets the boat underway, they are noticed by Jast, who sicks his security team and his demon dog Vornoth on them. Jast uses a bolt of auracalcum, a powerful, valuable resource rendered from metal used in the practice of magic. He uses it to cast a powerful toxic wave spell, which catches Lux and melts off most of his clothing as he splashes around in it. But thanks to some quick spellcasting and security door hacking, the team are able to rescue Lux, incapacitate Jast, steal his extremely powerful enchanted pistol, and get your boat the heck out of there. They deliver the boat, an old Corvette-class warship from the Technology Navy resurrected as a kind of party barge, to Yuri, who has one of his men remove a small piece of technology from it. Satisfied, Yuri explains he doesn't need the whole boat, and he's happy to gift what remains to the team as extra payment for a job well done. The team names the boat the Mrs. Egg in honor of Yuri's premium snacks, and they move on to it, finally ridding Viv of her perpetual house guests. Gabe asks if he can stick around. He likes the boat, though it does need a lot of work, and he likes the team. He also doesn't really have anywhere to live at the moment. The crew agrees to let Gabe live with them on the boat as both their fixer and actual mechanic. He installs Artemis, a smarter, more helpful version of the deranged AI the party barge once had. Viv leans over the mirage and offers Jast's pistol to her mentor spirit, the sea, as thanks for guidance during their trial. Trials.
Soon, Gabe brings the team a job by way of a friend. Mo Ashina, an exec at a small corporation called Combinatorial, needs the team to disgrace an NYPD bureaucrat, an absolute unit of a troll named Severin Vern Solix. Vern is the head of the Police Benevolence Association, the Department of NYPD Incorporated, who liaises with various contract holders on behalf of the police union. Mo has it on very good authority that Vern is attempting to convince the courts to permit a police strike, a normally illegal action around which, in this case, Vern claims there are special circumstances. A strike, Mo explains, would cause endless trouble for all of the corporations in the city as they all hold private security contracts with the NYPD. She gives the crew high-quality biometric scanning devices and tells them to find Solix at the International Policing and Security Professionals Trade and Labor Consortium annual exposition at the Javits Bloomberg Convention Center. There, they will have a rare chance to catch Vern alone and scan his huge body so that the biometric data can be used to fabricate flawlessly convincing security footage of him fraternizing with criminals. The team take the job, half of them tail Vern to the Police Athletic League, and the other half break into his apartment, where they learn of his miniature model village hobby. This intel, they surmise, is enough to strike up a convincing cover conversation at the expo the next day. Arriving at the expo, the team finds a massive crowd demonstrating against the police treatment of corporate citizens, the group of people whose system identification numbers, or SINs, are registered to a business entity rather than a geographic location. Entering the expo itself, their credentials are checked, and the team, though especially Viv, is sized up by a tall, skinny, and disquieting detection mage working security. He introduces himself as Cairn Holbrook. The team finds Vern as he is finishing a presentation, and they chat him up in the back halls of the expo center, and they successfully scan him. He puts together what they're up to, though, why they're there, and who may have sent them. He tells them that the situation with the strike is much, much more complicated than they know, and that, in fact, they would be working with him and not against him if they knew what's up. But before they can come to an understanding, a riot breaks out with the demonstrating crowd and Vern books it. As the team tries to escape, they're confronted by Cairn and two members of his security detail. A fight begins, and after Cairn casts a confusion spell on Viv, she casts a spell which bakes him from the inside, literally melting him where he stands in full view of the expo attendees and rioting crowd. They escape the expo and the riot and return to the ball pit where they find a strange red man with a gold crown floating over Gabe's bloody body. Chester, likewise, is draped motionless over the nearby bar. The man asks Viv for Jast's gun, which she says is at the bottom of the sea. The man says in his high-pitched voice that they are to stay away from Jast, and when Yuri offers them a new job in two days, they are to refuse it, lest they want to end up like their friends. When the man disappears, so too does his illusion. The team is standing in the ball pit in front of a very confused and very alive Chester.
Soon after, the team confirms that Gabe is alive, but was rendered unconscious by a mysterious red man in a gold crown who asked a lot of questions about Jast and also mentioned something called the Seven. Later that day, they meet with Fern, who explains the reason he's attempting to clear the strike is that the megacorp Evo is doing weird experiments on cops. Evo is the world's largest biotechnology firm, the largest corporation in New York City, and the corp that the police are required to use for their healthcare due to the terms of their security contract. Vern says he doesn't have proof of the weird experiments, but a good number of police, he says, went in for care and came back different. Not always sick or worse, but definitely not themselves. Vern wants to find out what's going on without tipping Evo off, so he's publicly saying that the city is treating police poorly in order to push the strike through, while privately hoping this lets him put a hold on all of their contracts, including Evo's, to give him a chance to figure out what's going on and fix it. He doesn't know if it will work, but this is all he knows how to do. There's a problem, though. A lawyer in Morgantown, a massive co-op in the Brooklyn Archipelago, is giving him grief and making it harder for him to get the strike okayed. If the team wants to help out and figure out why Evo is experimenting on people and how and how much, they shouldn't frame him, as Mo Ashina has asked. Rather, they should convince this lawyer to give him a break. The team agrees to work with Fern and abandon the Ashina run on two conditions. One, he makes any and all incriminating evidence regarding the death of Karen Holbrook disappear. And two, he keeps them in the know about everything Evo-related. The team goes to Odina's office in Morgantown and find a small, scrappy law firm concerned mostly with checking the power of the corporations and a justice system which serves only their interests. Odina is older and forthright. She's suspicious of the team, but also nonplussed and sort of disarmed by their manner. She has heard the rumors about Evo, and her guess is that it goes far, far beyond the police. A strike, she says, will only make things worse. But the fact of the matter is she doesn't have the time or resources to keep challenging Vern anyway. She agrees to lay off and explains that she can't be seen working with criminals, but if they can help each other somehow, and legitimately, she's open to that. They return to the Mrs. Egg and, on the way, are intercepted by B-Team, the other crew hired by Mo Ashina for the Vern run. B-Team was meant to carry out the second half of the plan, discovering the doctored footage of Vern and leaking it. But they've been saddled now with the whole job, as it appears A-Team, our runners, have gone cold. B-Team gives the crew a choice, hand over Vern's biometric data or die. A fight ensues, and TK brutally murders one of B-Team, a runner named Sunshine with his bare hands. The B-Team leader, a dwarf named Kit-Kat, is taken hostage and locked in a shipping container for the evening. The next morning, he's released and sent on his way with several Gatorades. Mo Ashina drains the team's bank accounts in retaliation. What will she throw at them next? They don't know, but they've made it clear that whatever it is, they'll put up a fight. Word of the crew's brutality and potential alignment with the cops spreads around city runner bars.
The team laments their sensitive position and financial woes in the company of Yuri, who has called them in for another job, exactly as predicted by the weird red man who showed them a dead Gabe. They confront Yuri about the red man, the red man's warnings, as well as something Gabe said to them. Previously, Gabe told the team to not take any more work with Yuri. Gabe only just got out from under Yuri's thumb and would never willingly get back under it, under any circumstances. He told a story about Yuri raising a team of technomancers, kids, basically, who he then killed in his bank house as soon as their first job was done, as he was making them dinner. Gabe will help the team as much as they want, but he says he's done helping Yuri. Yuri is light on the details when challenged, but explains that as far as the floating red man is concerned, he doesn't know who he is, but in this business, you make a lot of enemies. It's part of the job. The Technomancers, though, Yuri does not want to discuss. With effort, the team drags more out of him than he says he's ever told anyone else. He says if they didn't die, he would have. But it hurts him to talk about, and so he won't anymore. Yuri explains instead his next job. He needs the crew to clean out a building for him that he has purchased, a warehouse on Highland Island that is apparently home to a bug ghost. He does not like either of those things, so if the crew could get rid of it, bingo bongo. In order to do this, he says, they'll need a talisman from his friend Irina, who has a shop in Grand Central Station. She will likely ask them to do her a favor first, and this, Yuri says, they should treat as a run that he has assigned. Yuri will pay the team handsomely, and some of it up front even. He and his until this visit unseen friend, partner, business partner, Hector, dole out cred sticks and promise fruit baskets. The team takes Yuri's job, some more reluctantly than others, but before they head to Grand Central, Lux shares a few details from his past. Specifically, that he was once a doctor, a medical doctor skilled at building prosthesis and married. His ex and now fully estranged wife worked for Evo. When she got the job, she became apparently out of necessity, very secretive. And within six months, Lux explains, they were divorced. That was several years ago. He hasn't talked to her since. He doesn't know if she's involved with any of this and doesn't even know if she still lives in the Evo arcology anymore, but he can't help but wonder. The team take their amphibious, occasionally spider-legged car Henley to meet Irina in her shop, Savreda Stones and Foci, a small windowless showroom filled with magical goods in the heart of Grand Central Station. Irina is an older woman who uses a motorized robotic cart to get around. Round. She will help them help Yuri on two conditions. First, that they get to know one another, and second, as Yuri guessed, that they do a job for her. Irina reads Lash, Lux, TK, and Viv's tarot and gives them all an assignment. Go to the South Bronx and empower the locals to take on Flipper, a real estate startup leveraging their proximity to a municipal data center to purchase property through the city's complex, highly automated real estate purchasing portal ahead of anyone else. The team goes to the South Bronx, where they meet Irina's contact Calixto at their Chamber of Commerce. They do some recon at Flipper, where they pretend to be a film crew scheduled to interview CEO Harris Trevorrow. Lash says some things about shoes, but it gets sticky when the real film crew shows up and Viv, surprising no one, has to mind control a guy. They escape Flipper and head around the block to the municipal data center, underneath which is the alleged mechanical connection allowing Flipper to get the drop on locals. They arrive at the 
same time as a pizza delivery man named Andre, who is definitely not a pizza delivery man named Andre. The team, plus Andre, force their way into the data center despite the valiant efforts of softboy night watchman Michael Stewart, who accidentally ends up unconscious in the ensuing scuffle, but not before triggering a security alert sequence which locks everyone inside and summons the NYPD and private security. Andre and TK attempt to control the data center via the Matrix, but must contend with janky yet powerful ice, while the rest of the team searches the physical building for clues and an escape. A hidden key card brings salvation, but Lux must impersonate Michael when his colleagues arrive en masse to see what the red alert is all about. Lux charms Michael's boss while TK and Andre, who finally admits to being a runner named Dev Cunningham, investigate the depths of the Muni Center, where Andre finds, and for some unspoken reason, replaces a physical data tap before running off into the maze of sewers. In a few minutes, the rest of the team follows, discovering that the pathway below the data center leads to a secret door behind a jukebox in Calixto's Chamber of Commerce. Dev is nowhere to be seen. Given the heat raised in the Bronx over Flipper and the Municipal Data Center, the team decides to lay low for a few days. Lux visits an old armorer friend, Lash attends an urban brawl game, TK grabs some alone time and drinks with an old flame, and Viv reminisces about her past in Central Park. And that is where we left off. When we rejoin the team, it will be a number of months after their final day off episodes, and you'll learn what they've been up to and what has been happening in rebuilt New York in the intervening year. We'll see you there and then. <laughs>